Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. My name is Dan Francesco, and I'm the deputy editor of Cellside Technology, and I'm joined by Anthony Malakian, the U.S. editor of Waters Technology. Uh, we're here once again to talk to you about all the big stories and big news in the financial technology world, and then wrap things up with some fun or interesting stuff just around pop culture, sports, whatnot. So to start, today, you know, with this week was a little bit of a short week with the holiday on Monday kind of, you know, at least in the States, not as many news stories breaking. So a little bit of a smaller show for you today. Um, Not any less important, though. We'll start with something that was big for Linux users um, about a new vulnerability in the Glibic, Glibic. I'm not too good with pronunciations, as Anthony knows pretty well. So um, it was in the GNUC library. But I'll let, you know, Tony wrote, Anthony wrote a great story about this uh, the other day. So I'll let him take the lead on it and explain it. And then we'll kind of chat a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, honestly, I'm not sure if you pronounce it as a word or what. But, uh, you know, I haven't heard anybody say it. I've just been reading about it. Uh, but as you said, uh, Google and uh, Red Hat, they have discovered a vulnerability in the GNU uh, Space C uh, library, uh, which is known as Glib. We'll go with we'll we'll just say it whatever, um, and it might show our uh, might show our ignorance I guess. But the bug has existed uh, since 2008. Apparently, uh, the the vulnerability was first introduced uh, when uh, 2.9 I believe it was of um, of Glib was released. Uh, so it's been since 2008 this has existed, and that's I guess the funny thing about these vulnerabilities is you know Heartbleed, uh, which we saw in the past, and Shellshock. Um, it's not just that they're discovering new vulnerabilities, and oh, as they come up, they're finding them. You know, we're finding stuff that are decades, if not two decades old, um, and then trying to have to solve and patch for them. Uh, so I guess that, you know, we did a while back, uh, what was it, in the April 2015 issue of Waters, uh, dedicated the whole thing to cybersecurity issues. The topic that I uh, looked at was the challenges of patching systems and servers. Uh, for the article, I'd spoken with a CIO of an asset management firm that has about $150 billion, uh under management, and uh, he just walked me through the steps of uh, of how they go about it, and so, you know, on average, uh, what he said is that um, asset managers on average have more than 1,000 Windows-based servers in their data centers, and every month they receive about 10 to 15 patches that cover relevant vulnerabilities specific to the firm. Um, where the biggest challenge comes in is on the server side. Uh, what he said that. Uh, he says that that's 10 to 15 patches applied to 1,000 plus servers. There's so 15,000 plus separate repetitions that need to be tested and monitored. Um, the IT team applies the patches to its development and test servers once a month. Uh, there, they're tested to make sure that all the interconnected pieces in the system aren't affected. Um, so the CIO said, uh, you'll always be a little bit behind. Arguably, the day it comes out, you should probably apply it. But there's a lag between testing and deployment. The good news is that your data center tends to be internal and walled off from the rest of the world. It's less exposed. Uh, you probably couldn't do that with web-based applications. So any, anyway, 
for Linux and for this new vulnerability uh, that was discovered um, uh, using software uh, using the uh, get add uh, r info uh, read the article uh, I'm not very good at pronouncing these uh, various uh, 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 coding stuff um, but the interesting thing, so ZDNet uh, had a an article on this, and they quoted a CTO of uh, Sans Internet Story Center, uh, Jonas Ulrich, and what he had to say was that uh, pretty much any Linux system uh, uses glib and get ad info uh, is typically used to resolve IP addresses, which means Linux servers um, as well as workstations are vulnerable unless it runs on an older version of Glip, so pre 2.9 release. Anyway, you know, just it's one of those interesting stories. They're, these are always going to come out, um, and you know, you're always the patching isn't anything that really changes, you know, from year to year. There aren't any great advancements necessarily. You know how remotely you can do it, how quickly you can test and run it through the system, make sure the system's safe. Sure, that stuff always improves, but um, this isn't like uh, groundbreaking technology stuff. It's the bugs themselves that are groundbreaking, I guess. So, you know, you're always up against it um, as a CEO when you hear about these vulnerabilities. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, so you have to release these patches quickly, um, as quickly as possible. As the CIO said, you want to release it, you know, the day of, ideally, but that's not always possible. Um, and the funny thing is that these that these vulnerabilities may have existed for so many years. So it's always an uphill battle. It's not going to change. It's a constant fight. You know. Um, yeah, I guess a nice little gloomy uh, start to the podcast that you're doomed no matter what. Well, it's it's an interesting story, I think, because. And if you haven't, go back and definitely we'll provide a link. Uh, read Anthony's story about you know it's patching a prayer in, in our April cybersecurity issue. But it's it's kind of the double-edged sword, like you said. Every CIO wants to inundate and use an update and a patch as soon as it comes out, but you also have to go through that whole testing thing and it's kind of you know do you batch do you wait until you know the end of the month or do you kind of just try to run with it as quickly as possible i'm sure part of it is how big of an of a of a patch is it or how necessary is it and how susceptible are you without including the patch so i think it's it's an interesting dynamic that probably doesn't get enough play in the media because this is something that's happening all the time. Like you reported in your story, what 10 to 15 uh, patches come through a a month, you know? So that's a lot. And I kind of think when I see this stuff, I always think to myself on my computer, how many times I get, Oh, update, 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 update. And I always just gloss over it because I'm doing something on the computer. And, you know, at the end of the day, you are kind of leaving yourself a little susceptible to attack if you don't get it. So I guess maybe what did you find? In, and this is kind of going back a, a, a little ways because it's almost a year ago now. And, you know, the story ran April 2015. But what did you find in your reporting where how they kind of balance between getting a patch in as quick as possible, but also making sure it's been tested so it's not going to completely crash their system? There's no real... You know, there's no balance. You know, it's just something you have to do. You have to do the test. Um, I talked with one um, data center expert. Uh, again, you know, some of these conversations were off the record just because, you know, you want them to kind of just walk you through what the real challenges are. And uh, so he was saying that they made a – it was a massive screw-up. I don't have uh, the article in front of me. I guess I could pull it up here on my computer. But as I remember, it was they 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 had a patch – 
they ran it through the servers, and not everything was fine. You know, they're, they're, they they didn't notice anything that was going wrong. And then um, they had to release their uh, earnings report, and there was a massive screw up here. If you give me a second here, I'm pulling up the uh, story right now. Uh, but so there isn't a balance that you can really find in this. It's it's just one of those things that has to be done. You have to do it as quickly as possible. Um, and you're you're always going to be behind the eight ball. Um, so let's see here. Uh, so how about this? I'll, I'll read this out to you, uh, so you don't have to read it. Uh, so the reader doesn't have to read it. Uh, the manager's team introduced a patch to its uh, SQL Linux servers. They tested the patch against its critical systems, such as order processing and distribution. They conducted the testing on a Saturday night and ran it through Sunday. Everything looked fine. Uh, Monday morning, they opened up production. Everything appeared to be running smoothly. A week later, the firm was running some financial reports to be distributed to the market, and there was, quote, a major screw-up, quote, uh, where information was presented incorrectly that was traced back to the patch. Uh, both its own IT and the firm's uh, quality assurance groups uh, missed the glitch. And so the manager said, uh, the CEO is not delighted with us, to put it mildly. The change was innocuous enough that it didn't really present itself in any format that we would recognize as a problem. Maybe it should have, but it didn't. So, again, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a daunting challenge. And, you know, even little mistakes will drive people crazy when you go through these, you know, patches and then systems start shutting down. Even if the forward-facing, you know, uh, client doesn't see some of these mess-ups, it, it creates an all-hands-on-deck um, uh, scenario, and it's 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 the nightmare for every single IT manager. It's just these little things that you know keep you away from the bigger projects. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Let's transition now to uh, something that is getting a lot of play in the news. And I know when this came up last week, I promised that I was sick of talking about. It. I didn't want to talk about it anymore. But talking about blockchain and more specifically the separation between blockchain and uh, the Bitcoin. I uh, had the opportunity to sit down with some lunch uh, for lunch with uh, Paul Chow, the uh, CEO and co-founder of LedgerX, which for those of you that don't know is institutional trading clearing platform for the Bitcoin. Um, and we kind of just got in a discussion, we got in a discussion about kind of some stuff that LedgerX is doing, but also specifically talked about you know, he was interested to hear my takes. And I was interested to hear his takes on the separation of blockchain and Bitcoin. And what Paul said that really stood out to me that I found really interesting was he compared it to a rocket ship, essentially saying that rocket ship, a rocket ship is a marvel of engineering. It's it's amazing. It's fantastic. You know, it's it's awesome, which is the whole kind of Bitcoin environment. This is these are this is what he, he said. And then if, but if you take separate pieces of a rocket ship apart and you look at them separately, the nail, the screw, the outer shell, it's not as fascinating as when it's when it's completely together. And what people are trying to do is they're taking blockchain, which he said really at the end of the day isn't that remarkable that remarkable of a piece of technology, and they're pulling it out of this environment where it is part of this engineered very fascinating, you know, groundbreaking technology. They're pulling it out and trying to say that this is so amazing. I mean, another analogy that I use that Paul agreed with was you look at a band, right? Look at the Beatles, right? Beatles, one of the greatest rock bands ever in the history of history of the world, right? Amazing together. They break up in the 70s. All four of them 
George, John, Ringo, and Paul go on to have solo careers. Now, you can debate, you know, how successful some of those were. I mean, Paul, obviously, with Wings. John, you know, had his hits. You can say, I don't know, whatever he did with Yoko Ono. It, it is what it is. But um, clearly, none of it was as successful as the Beatles. Like, I don't think anyone would disagree that the most success those four had is when they were together as the Beatles. So he's kind of saying it's the same thing with uh, Bitcoin and blockchain. When you try to separate them, it's it kind of takes away from the overall appeal. Now, he said at the end of the day, he doesn't have a dog in this fight. It's not like he's looking for blockchain to fail. He said he, he's very happy to be proven wrong. And if blockchain's successful, that's that's awesome. But for him, he just doesn't see it. And I asked him, I point blank, I said, well, clearly it seems like we're at the apex right now of talk and trend and and strong belief around the power of blockchain. Where do you see this going? And he said, at the end of the day, he thinks within a year, the tides will turn because people will begin to recognize that it's not that amazing a technology and it's not going to you know, be that groundbreaking. And kind of part of the reason why it's done so well is because people in the Bitcoin space who, and we've talked about this before, Bitcoin, and he admitted this, Bitcoin kind of does have this black cloud over it because of Silk Road and kind of the stuff that it's been involved with. People in the Bitcoin space are happy to see blockchain get attention, get attention because they think at the end of the day that'll bring in institutional investors and and people that are saying, okay, well, blockchain's okay. Well, let's take a look at Bitcoin as well. But for the time being, um, really wasn't really think thinks it's a lot more fluff and a lot more talk than actual real results. I, I'll be interested, Anthony. Do you have anything, any takes or any? I know we've talked, you know, beat this horse to death essentially, but anything, you know, on a different perspective on the point of uh, blockchain. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess that part of me is just because, I don't know, I don't want to say it's disgusting, but right now with blockchain, just everybody just wants uh, to get their name involved. It's like I said uh the previous podcast about uh, fear of missing out or FOMO. Um, you know, it's it's everybody wants their name attack, attached to blockchain because it's hip and it's cool, and there's nothing... Uh, uh, you know, I mean, we're going to have to keep on reporting it. You know, it's 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 news. It's interesting. People do care about it. Uh, we've written so much about it. I don't care about, you know, necessarily until there's really a, a new breakthrough. Um, we're kind of, you know, I, I found it interesting, though, that um, Paul, right, mm-hmm. uh, that he compared Bitcoin to the rocket ship and blockchain to nuts and bolts. Um, you know, I mean, I... Well, uh, hold on. I, uh, before I, I don't know if he didn't necessarily exactly compare it to the nuts and bolts. Just the point was that the parts of the rocket ship apart aren't as incredible as the rocket ship altogether. You know, uh, uh, some of the parts is only as strong as they're together. I completely butchered that phrase, but you get the point. Uh, yeah. Um, oh yeah. So right now it's being compared that the rocket ship is blockchain. To me, Bitcoin isn't that interesting. Bitcoin's a cryptocurrency, you know. It's there are other cryptocurrencies. It's just so, so I don't know. Um, blockchain. When you hear people talk about it, it, sounds like there's a lot of exciting stuff there. Um, that that is more the rock chip, and you know, or if you do consider it, you know, let's just go with the nuts and bolts. Even though he didn't say it, so whatever. That's probably not the greatest way, but. Um, you know, the nuts and bolts that are being used on a rocket ship are not the kind of stuff that you're going to find in a Home Depot either. You know, these are really groundbreaking pieces. Sure. Yeah. The, you know, every single piece of a rocket ship is pretty extraordinary. Um, you know, I would say that the, the rocket ship is the financial markets, the financial systems. Um, and Bitcoin is just, you know, uh, you know, some sort of coding that's in the rocket ship. 
beating the hell out of this uh, rocket ship uh, analogy, I guess. Um, yeah, we really are. <laughs> so I, I just think that, uh, you know, right now, everybody's trying to attach a name to it. So I, know, I, I think that as we're going through this for the next couple months, you know, you, the, the listener, uh, should just be aware that, yeah, we're going to keep on reporting it and how people are talking about how people are using it. And it's going to be brought up at our conferences. We'll have panels on it. But we are kind of going to run into a little bit of a scenario here where we've, where there's nothing much new to talk about. Where everybody's kind of saying the same things. You got your corners. You got you know you have your opinions. And now everybody's kind of we're waiting to see what that next breakthrough is because you need to have that next step. Um, you know where people are making money off. People are really you know making something happen with it. So. So two th- two things to your point, uh, and then we'll wrap this up uh, in terms, of, and we'll touch on one more thing before we let you guys go. Uh, to the point of FOMO, he did. Paul did mention how he spoke to a couple, you know, CIOs, CTOs, who said that their vendors are kind of getting means with them by just throwing blockchain on everything. And he kind of compared it to the cloud, which we always talk about years ago, where people would just say, "Cloud, oh, we we're cloud enabled, cloud, you know, cloud this, cloud that." And it's kind of become a buzzword that vendors are using, kind of throwing on to all their solutions to uh to 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 kind of get a meeting. The the other point I wanted to make is you talk about a benchmark or proving something. What he did say is that the only way he could see this kind of blockchain trend continuing is if there's progress made on it with specific use cases, which he's not necessarily sure there will be but what he did say was he used the comparison for nasdaq and everybody knows nasdaq has talked about getting involved in the blockchain the specific process that he he said that they're looking to use blockchain is is going to take over basically it's guys in the back office using excel spreadsheets manually putting in putting in stuff and the blockchain would take over for this any type of technology would improve on that. So the bar has been set so low that you can turn around and say, yeah, it was a blockchain achievement. Look at the blockchain did, but any type of technology could do that. And it's just, you know, it's a matter of where you set the bar. So it'll be interesting. I think I'm, you know, I've said this before. We both said this and just, this is reiterating your point. I'm kind of sick of the hype and sick of the talk. I want to see actual practical use cases. And once we start seeing that, then I'll be interested uh, to, to see what happens and, and where this the stuff in this space goes. Uh, moving, you know, finally, I we had teased it last week, but enough football. Football's done, unfortunately. It's tear in my eye. There's no more football on Sundays. We have to wait until, uh, you know, August or really, we'll wait until the draft in April for something exciting to come back. But we do have the primaries, and there's plenty of entertainment uh, in that. Uh, it's, it's a big topic of conversation in our office, especially considering about half of our employees are British, <laughs> um, which makes it even more funny to see their perspective on how our whole political process works. Anthony, I know you've been following it pretty somewhat closely. What? Tell me about your take so far about you know both sides and what you're seeing from the candidates. Well, it's certainly been you know the most interesting you know. Uh, primary season that we've ever seen I that well I'm only 31 no no I'm not 31 I'm 36 years old I, I get myself a nice little five wow five-year gap everyone's like you hear the one or two but the five-year switch that's quite the uh that's quite the move anyway um so it is though incredibly interesting I think that anybody that's observed the Republican Party for years and you know, I voted you know Republican plenty of times in the past. Um, I don't mind saying that. Um, is you know for Trump to still be in it this long, I think surprises a lot of people. I've I've been saying for a long time that 
you know, I think a guy like uh, John Kasich, you know, in years past, if this was, you know, you know, uh, 19, you know, 96, something like that, uh, he would be the model for a Republican nominee, somebody, you know, a governor of a major swing state um, who, you know, has, you know, moderate but conservative um, and, you know, he's, he's, he's the template of what, you know, you would expect for the Republicans nominating. Right now, he's, you know, struggling in that 3-4 spot um, after an excellent showing, though, in New Hampshire. So, you know, what is it? On Saturday, we have uh, South Carolina. Uh, it's going to be really interesting, you know. Again, Trump's run away with it there. Uh, but I think... Big, uh, big Bush state, though. Big Bush state. The well, Bush I mean, this is his well last there. stand, right? I mean, which maybe that's why he put out that insane uh, Twitter... Uh, photo of uh, his Glock with uh, Governor Jeb Bush on it. That was, I mean, it's, it, you know, people like to point and make fun of Donald Trump, and rightfully so, because some of the things he's said and done have been ridiculous. But then you you have Jeb Bush that's handing out little turtles to kids um, and posting Twitter pictures of uh, his gun saying America. You have uh, Hillary barking like a dog. Uh, I don't know if you saw that the other day. She was barking. It's just on both sides. It's just, it's crazy. It it, it really is absurd what you what you've been seeing. Do you want like a little bit of insanity here? So let's see. Super Tuesday rolls around March first. Let's just say that you know Trump just really pulls away with this, or you know maybe Cruz or something like that. So if Trump or Cruz on the Republican side, let's say Bernie Sanders, you know he runs away with it on the Democrat side. Not saying this is going to happen, just saying, let's just say hypothetically. Then, for the real insanity of this, Bloomberg, Michael Bloomberg, has to sit back at this and say, all right, if it's going to be Trump versus Sanders, I'm definitely getting involved in this. He goes as an independent candidate. It, I don't think any of this is necessarily good for the country, but part of me just kind of wants to sit back and watch the chaos unfold and just, you know, see where this goes. And then we kind of say, OK, we have to burn this whole thing down now. Let's start again four years. <laughs> well, you, you, you know what it is? You have a lot of people with a lot of money and a lot of time on their hands. And that can never usually lead to good things. So, like you said, with that situation, if it's if it's Bernie versus Trump, two polar opposites that even you know polarize people within their own party, and then you get someone like Bloomberg, um, I think that's really. I, I'd be interested to see also how long are these people going to stay on? Because at the at this point now, I really could see Trump running as a third party if he doesn't get the... I mean, I know it's difficult to do that, but he's so he's in so deep right now, and he seems so confident, and this doesn't seem like a publicity stunt like it did maybe six months ago or nine months ago. What Do you think there's a possibility that he could run on a third party, even knowing that it would pretty much submarine the Republican uh, nomination? Could you see that happening? Absolutely. Uh, you know, there's nothing that you can... We're at that part where... Literally, you know, that where you say I, I just couldn't imagine it. Yeah, you can imagine every scenario. I mean, for me, I'll be, you know, my I'm a big uh, I like Kasich and uh, I like Bloomberg as well. I've been a, a Bloomberg supporter, voted for him uh, here living in New York City. Um, but after that, it just becomes this crazy crapshoot, you know, for the one thing I am interested in for what we cover. I would love to have some of our uh, listeners that are working 
at you know hedge funds, banks, at these vendors that cater to hedge funds, banks, the ones that want to vote for Bernie Sanders. <laughs> how are you in this fee? How are you work? I mean, is it truly you're just taking a paycheck and you're like, I'll just take any money from anybody? Because everything that Bernie Sanders is kind of going for, it goes a lot against what you, what this what 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 we write about what this what the, the financial industry here on wall street does yeah i mean you can everyone's entitled to their own political opinion and i'm not disagreeing or agreeing oh i like a good debate you know, yeah i like to hear the other side I'm yeah. not, i never get angry at yeah them. and i'm not disagreeing or agreeing with bernie sanders political opinions but you're exactly right if you're working at a hedge fund or an asset manager or a big bank and you're supporting bernie sanders you're you Essentially, what you're committing career suicide. What what's the end game for you? So he gets elected, and what he's going to turn around and stab you in the back. I mean, it really seems he's not going to be your friend. He's not going to support you guys at all. So I, I mean, I. It's going to be fun to talk about for the next few months, at least. Yeah, it certainly certainly will provide plenty of entertainment. So to wrap things up here, want to make a mention: tomorrow, end of business day, is the last day to get your entries in for the Sellside Technology Awards. Um, the deadline is, like I said, uh, Friday, February nineteenth. Um, there are twenty-six submittable categories, same as last year. I'll provide a link on this post so you can, you know, start your entry right there. The actual event will be held April twenty-first at the Marriott Marquis, um, and it is preceded by the North American Trading and Architecture Summit, which is always a good conference for us. This kind of kicks off the conference season for us specifically. Then we have IM, IMD, IRD conference, and then buy side, waters rankings, all that good stuff. Also, let me jump in and say that I'll be at uh, FIA Boca in the middle of March. Uh, if any of you are going down there, any of our lists are going down there, uh, let me know. And uh, maybe we can grab a quick word while we're down there. There you go. And that gets to the bigger point that, you know, we include our contact details, both Anthony and I, uh, our contact details at the bottom of the post. Feel free to reach out to us. You know, this was a, it ended up going pretty long because, you know, the political talk went a little long. But, you know, this was a pretty light a podcast with only two topics. But if you do have something of interest that you'd really like us to touch on, send us an email, shoot us a tweet, do whatever you need to do. But let us know. And, you know, we can definitely touch on it next time because we're always open to hear what, you know, the readers want. We're five episodes in now. So we have a pretty, pretty solid uh, listener base and we'd love to hear from you. But uh, other than that, Anthony, do you have anything else to add? Nothing. All right. Well, uh, thanks so much for joining us again. And uh, we'll talk to you next Thursday. But uh, have a great day and have a great weekend.